Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Daniel chapter 3. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, and Daniel is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis, and it's way, it's way past halfway through. Like if you're using not a digital Bible, but just a regular book, usually when you open up like in the middle is Psalms. And so Daniel is several books after Psalms, Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Lamentations, and, and just keep going. And then right after Ezekiel is Daniel. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. And so, um, and so Daniel chapter 3. Now, I'm going to read a lot of scripture here this morning. And I thought since we were in church, that would be okay. And so Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all places and nations and languages, Listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then then King Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? So again, I want to put this in context. You know, and I say this, but just, you know, for all of us just kind of know this. Most of you know this, have heard this. But for the, some of you may be new here, I understand that we all have different stories, different backgrounds. Again, my story was, was that, you know, I was brought up in church and that type of thing. That may not be your story. That's okay. It's okay that we have different stories like this. But the reality of it is, is that this is a historical account. And if you're like me and you've heard this before, you know, the problem is, is that it's real easy to kind of know the outcome and disconnect with what's taking place here. And so sometimes when I read things like this, I, I try to make my mind not jump ahead to the end. I, I'll tell you, I do this with sporting events sometimes. Like when I'm, when I'm listening to a team or I'm watching a team that I want to win that's playing and the game's really tight, sometimes I'll just put it on pause for just a minute and then I'll start checking my, my phone to see how do, they, how do they come out. I know, man, it's real sissified, but I mean, I got enough stress in my life without adding to it and there's something about seeing it on the screen where I'm like, nah, I'm not gonna watch that play and I'll fast forward it, you know? Because I know the outcome. I know the outcome of the play, all right? Now, I will tell you when it's a good outcome that I go back and watch it 
several times. And so, um, so you know, I'll do that. But, but right here, you know, as you read this, I, you know, let's, let's stay with it. Let's stay with the account and recognize this. That first of all, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they weren't even natives of the place that they were at. They were taken captive by them. They were a conquered people. So they really had few rights. I mean, they were given responsibilities. They had obligations to do certain things. And, um, and you know, they were put in control of various things. And they were serving in a nation that at that time was the most powerful country on earth. It had the most resources. It had the greatest military. I mean, and they had no, they had, they had no power whatsoever, these, these three Hebrew children. They had, they had no economic might. They had no political might. They had, you know, even culture. They had no cultural might. They, they were even different culturally than the people that they were around and were with. And so... When, when this was getting ready to happen, it's, it's interesting, and I think it's such a picture of life that they're walking around doing their thing, and everybody kind of looks the same. There's no distinction that's between any of them or anything that's going on. And at one moment, then, everything looks normal. Everybody looks the same. And then this moment takes place, and all of a sudden, in the marketplace, at the office, in the homes, in the neighborhoods, everybody drops to the ground. And they still look the same. One minute they're walking around living their life, and the next minute they've all bowed their knee and they've submitted to the same thing, the same pressure, the same expectation, the same call, except for three people. And now there's a distinction, something that distinguishes them. And it wasn't because they were angrier than everybody. They weren't yelling out at everybody. It was just that moment when they were told they have to. And what the expectation was on them, they knew would not be pleasing to God. And they made a decision in that moment, I won't. And there's something about that that's powerful. As they were having to say to this, to this king that could, had the power to kill them. I mean, you know, they didn't, get, they didn't get due process. He was due process. He didn't have any court to go through. What he said would go. And so they're faced with this moment where it's obvious who's not complying. It's obvious who's not bowing. It's obvious who's standing up. It's obvious in that moment, and he makes that, they, these three guys make that stance. Now, let me finish reading this. Let's continue reading on here. And it says, but if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue from my power? They said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. We don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able. Everybody say, is able. able. He is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But I love this part. Even if he doesn't. Say, even if he doesn't. Man, this is the phrase that some of us skip right past in our walk with God. Even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. You know, I've read this so often, and for years I hear people talk about that when you make a stance, then the outcome is that, that you, there'll be, there won't be any hardship, you won't go through any hard times, so you'll be on the other side of it, and all these things will take place. And sometimes in those moments that happens. But let me just say this, the outcome when we make a stand for God is not always going to be painless. It's not always going to be without loss or without cost to us. That's why I love these guys. They said God's able to, and we believe that he will. And then they added this, but even if he doesn't. In other words, they said, 
We're going to trust God with the outcome. We're going to do what he's called us to do. We're not going to be yielded or pressured into being who he's not called us to be. Regardless of who it disappoints, regardless of who it takes us, brings us to or takes us away from. We're not, going to, we're not going to be who he's not called us to be or, or do what he clearly doesn't ex- want us to do. And I think, you know, in order to do those things, in order to be able, whenever we feel pressured to do something that we know is not okay with God, to compromise, to yield, to be accepted, to, you know, to maintain friendships, to not be misunderstood or criticized or judged. But to take a stance and say, no, 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 I know this is what's right and this is what we're going to do. That whenever we do that, that we have to understand this, that we're trusting God with whatever the outcome is. To have the same mindset that these guys had that said, we, he's able to do it and we believe that he will. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. There's something powerful about that. I love Hebrews 11. I've shared this before. And the first half of Hebrews 11, it talks about all these different men and women that trusted God, that served God. It talks about Abraham and Sarah, how they trusted God and how Sarah had a baby when she was 90 because God had promised them. And even though it was past the time of life for her, that she embraced the promise of God and her and Abraham had a child. And then it talks about Moses and how his mother, you know, hid him. Whenever uh, boys that were two years old and younger were being, you know, killed by Pharaoh at that time. And just different people looks at Noah's life. It looks at Enoch's life. It looks at different men, different women, uh, that things were going on in the world. And how God had supernaturally and delivered them in a mighty way. But about halfway through this, it says this, but others. And it goes on and begins to tell the story of those that operated in faith but they didn't experience the kind of deliverance that the others experienced. Matter of fact, there were times that they were martyred or they experienced pain or, or loss or whatever. But they did it because the outcome did not determine whether or not what they were going to do. What determined what they were going to do was what God had called them to do. And even if it meant at times experiencing suffering or pain or loss, that they were willing to do that regardless. And so in our lives, whenever we feel pressured, sometimes by culture, Sometimes in old friendships, old relationships, sometimes at job settings, that whatever, if we're going to follow God in those, the number one thing we have to do is we have to trust God with the outcome. To be able to say, Lord, no matter what this costs me, I'll do what you want me to do. No matter where it takes me, two, no matter who it takes me from, I'll do what what you've called me to do. Number one is trust God with the outcome. Let's keep reading here, and it says this. He said, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Then it says this, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, everybody say suddenly. 
Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a god. This is such a powerful moment that these guys, as they submitted themselves and the outcome of what would take place to God, Lord, we trust you with whatever you do. We trust you with whatever happens in our life. We're going to follow you and not yield to the pressure no matter what threats this guy gives us. We trust you with the outcome. But the wild thing about it is because they didn't compromise whenever they made that stance, then Nebuchadnezzar, who at that time was an idolater, and not only that, but probably believed that he himself was a deity, that when he looked in the fire, not only did he see their liberty, but he saw God's presence. He saw God moving in that behalf. And I think we lose sight of this sometimes, that there's something about an unwillingness to just yield to pressure to not be who God has called us to be, that we rob them of the opportunity to see God move in those circumstances and situations. I know when my kids were younger, one, and one of my sons, and um, I always hate, I don't always hate to use them in stories. I like using them in stories. But I don't want to put pressure on them that's unnecessary or whatever because they would tell you that they weren't perfect or anything like that. And one of, one of, my, one of our sons um, would, uh, he would, when he would get around some of his buddies, they would sometimes make decisions that weren't always the decisions I would want them to make. A lot of times they would make decisions that I didn't always want them to make. They did a lot of stupid things. And so um, I, I remember they had this one situation and I knew who the kids he was with. And so it, I don't want to tell what son it was. David's up here in front, it wasn't him. But um, the <laughs> and so... Um, and I remember you know, they'd had this situation afterwards. I'm like, you know, I know all of you guys. I know all of the kids that were there. And I said, if just one of you would have stood up and said, we're not doing this. I said, the others would have said, okay. I said, in my heart, in my father's heart, in my dad's heart, I wish it was you. I wish you were the one that would have said, we're not doing this. But I said, you didn't. So I'm disappointed in you. But I said, I know them well enough. No, I love them too. I'm disappointed in them that if it wasn't going to be you, then one of them should have. I think sometimes we bow and yield, and yet I, I don't think we understand this, that a lot of times there are people that are having their own secret battles themselves on the inside with the voice of God saying to them, take a stand. Take a stand. Say no. Say no, I'm not going to do this. Make that decision. Sometimes there are just people waiting on you to do that, on me to do that. Uh, this story goes back a long way. You've heard my story before, but I was raised in church. And I mean, I, I you know, I can remember, you know, I, I went to church every Sunday. In our house, we went to church every Sunday. And can I just be real transparent with you? When I was a kid, it, uh, in those early years especially, up, you know, up through some junior high and stuff like that, I, I didn't like going to church. But my dad didn't ask me. It wasn't a vote. Hey, do you want to go to church today? Nobody asked me. They didn't care. It was a monarchy, and he and my mom ruled the house. And I was just one of their willing servants. But I went, you know what? They never thought about, they never, the thought never crossed my mind, well, he'll hate church someday. No, they didn't even think about that. It was like, we should go to church. Also, they didn't let me have all the chocolate cake I wanted. Sometimes they'd have me, have me eat vegetables, and they never thought, well, he'll rebel against good food someday. They know they'll let me watch things that weren't good for me on TV. Well, he'll rebel against good TV someday. They never let me buy with not doing my homework. Well, he'll rebel against education someday if we make him. 
I'll show that out there. So, but I would tell him, I would say, dude, if you had just made the right choice, these, your buddies, they'd have followed you. And I'm disappointed it wasn't you. If it would have been, you know, to his credit, like, you know, like most of us, he grew out of those years in those areas. But, but we all have those challenges with us where we're challenged to, you know, that we're, you know the, with the pressure around us is, is that you have to do this. It will impact the nature of your relationship. I've shared with you my story that, again, I was raised in church, and when I, but when I was in high school, like a sophomore in high school over here at Claremore, that I, um, I had a friend that went to camp. When he, and he, when he was at camp, God dealt with him in such a way that he yielded his life. He, he wasn't somebody that was way older than me. He was my age, a sophomore in high school. He just got serious about his relationship with God. I remember he came back, and he was kind of a partier before then, and he was like, I, I'm not going to do that anymore. And he just began to let his life stand out. He would still have those conversations with his friends and talk about Jesus, and, you know, and they were like me. Their stories were similar to mine. A lot of them, you know, church had been a part of their life. But I remember we started, you know, all of a sudden, his commitment, his decision caused me to, be impacted by it in such a way that I began to get serious about my relationship with God. I mean, we started having Bible studies. Many of you are familiar with, with Lisa Martin. She, uh, she, her and her husband, Keith Martin, they're friends of mine. You know, they've served in the community and that kind of thing. But we would go to her house and do Bible studies. And I remember I was at one Bible study one night and there was a girl there that I'd known for several years. And she came up to me, she goes, I didn't know you were a Christian. And I thought, man, I go to church every Sunday. And my life has never said to her anything to her about who Jesus is to me. I thought that's never going to happen again. But I got to see God move in my friend's life because even those decisions, he didn't, you know, people have said before, if I start really following God, will I have to separate myself from my friends? Well, if you start following God and they don't want to, they'll probably separate themselves from you. So I remember, you know, that I saw some people, they distanced themselves from him. He wasn't mean, he wasn't judgmental, he wasn't ridiculous in how he shared his faith. But there were others like me, man, that it encouraged because in the middle of his stance, I saw God move on his behalf. I think we have to understand this if you're taking notes. Number two is this is that standing up to pressure allows others to see God move. They see what God does. And, I, and I'm just telling you that one of the reasons why the enemy wants to pressure us into doing things that we know are wrong, that violate who we're called to be as Jesus followers, is because at that moment we look just like everybody else. We act just like everybody else. And there's something about taking a stand that causes people to recognize God's presence in that because he gets an opportunity to use your commitment, your consecration, your conviction, and show up on your behalf. And let me say something, it's noticed. It's noticed, they notice. So number two is this, is that standing up to pressure allows others to see God move. Let's continue reading, it says, I see four men un, uh, unbound walking around in the fire and the harm. The fourth looks like a God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door 
of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Here's the third thing I want you to see, is that refusing to bow brings about change. Refusing to bow will bring about real change in people's lives. I remember when I was going to, I went to a couple of years of college, I was kind of, it was kind of cool this morning, uh, two of my college professors were here, and um, probably to offer you sympathy, but I mean, one of them was, uh, um, was the guy that taught botany and zoology, and I told him, I said, you played a significant impact on ministry. It was after your botany final that I threw the book in the back seat and said, well, I guess I'm called to ministry, and so... Um, so I said, thank you. And, um, but I, I remember that after a couple of years, I decided I was going to go to Bible school and my, you know, my parents were just, they were concerned. They didn't really know anything about the Bible school I was going to. They wanted to make sure I wasn't getting locked up in something crazy, you know? And so, um, and I, but I didn't know any of this. And I remember that we lived, we lived just, you know, a few miles from here out in Vertigris and we were in the garage one night and my dad came to me and I was struggling. I was working six days a week. Paying my way through school. I, I didn't have enough time to be ridiculous when I was going to school because I was having to pay for it. And so, and work multiple jobs in order to do that and maintain a GPA. Um, as painful as that was, it was good for me. So, I remember out in the garage and he said to me, because he knew I was struggling, you know, with all those things financially and everything. He said, look, man, he said, if you'll go back to the university and finish what you were pursuing before. And he said, then... If you'll, you know, then when you're through, if you want to continue pursuing ministry after that, that's fine. But he said, your mom and I will pay your tuition. We'll take care of, you know, where you're staying and that kind of stuff. And we'll even give you a little spending money. Well, my parents didn't make a lot of money. And I knew that was a huge sacrifice. But I, I, I just remember telling him, I said, there's a verse in the Bible that poor Paul said this. He said, he said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And I said, that's the way I feel. I said, I've got this sense that if I don't preach the gospel, woe is me. If I don't yield to God and follow his plan, woe is me. And I mean, it hurt me to disappoint my father because I loved him. It was hard for me to tell him, no, I was, I was like 21 years old or something like that. And he wanted me to change you know, the direction I was going. But even at 21, I didn't want to disappoint my dad. And so I just remember thinking that and he goes, okay. It was just kind of one of those awkward endings, you know, where he walks away and he knew that I'm old enough to make my own decisions, but, but I could tell he's disappointed. And even then, I didn't want to disappoint him. But it was, I was just like, okay. So I continued doing the things I was doing, and my, uh, my parents reached out to me one time, and my dad called where I was and just talked to me for a few minutes and just wanted to see how I was doing. So fine. So later on, 
like a week or two later, uh, he, he and I were talking. And he said to me, he said, look, man, he said, I'm going to help you with your tuition this year. I didn't ask him to. He said, we want to do that. I feel like we're supposed to, which was quite a change from where he'd been a few weeks before. And I, I don't want to, some other time I'll get into the details, but the truth of the matter is, is that after that conversation we had in the garage, a few weeks later, he, he had this encounter, this moment with God, where God revealed to him that he was, that I was doing what he wanted me to do. And it was kind of a super, it was a supernatural thing that took place in my dad's life and in my mom's life. It was, it was kind of a sacred thing. One of those things that in our life we may have a couple of that are that just, you know, obvious. But it impacted him so much that he's no longer encouraging me to go a different path, but he partnered with me on the path I was going because of what God had done in him. Now, let me just tell you something. I've had plenty of moments in my life where I felt pressure to do what others expected me to do and not do what God wanted me to do. And I wish I could tell you that every time I didn't fail, but that's just not a true statement. There were times I did fail. There were times I did yield to that pressure and do it because I felt pressured to do it. But this was one of those moments that I didn't do that. That as much as I loved my father and didn't want to disappoint him, that my feet stood in the place that I believed was the will of God for my life. And it didn't happen instantaneously. And I wasn't even around at the moment it did happen. But one afternoon when my dad was by himself and I was someplace else, God supernaturally dealt with him. And it changed the way he viewed what I was doing. And you know what? It changed him. There's something about that that refusing to bow brings about change. We don't bring about conviction in people's lives by endeavoring to be just like them. And saying that, I'm not saying we're called to be weird. I would dare say on most days you could look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life and there probably wasn't a ton of difference. But when there needed to be, there was. That when they were walking around in the marketplace with everybody else, they were just another customer. But in that moment when the expectation requirement was everybody does this and they knew that what they were asking them to do was not what God would call them to do, in that moment when everybody else was down, all of a sudden everybody's up, then everybody's down except for three people that are standing in the marketplace by themselves. That's when they were noticeable. They didn't create the moment, but in the moment, they decided to follow what God's plan for them was. We want to see people in our lives impacted, love them in those moments, and those moments refuse to bow. You don't have to be angry about it. You don't have to be mean about it. Just stand. Just stand. I want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. Is there an area in your life that God's dealing with you? Maybe there's some ongoing things that are creating pressure for you. Maybe it's something that you've been yielding to. And yet God's convicting you, not just because he wants you to be free from it, 
but he wants to show up in your life for the people around you, for them to see that as well. Lord, as we take this few moments just to consecrate our lives, to lovingly say no, to trust you with the outcome. It may not always be painless. It may not always be without a cost or without a price. But we trust you with it. So that others can see you move and so that change can be brought about in their life and in their world. We thank you for it, Jesus. Jesus.